morning to all of you, my church family. Hadn't been a great morning already. We could quit now and we'd be satisfied, wouldn't we? Nobody, nobody, I, I, I expected a bunch of amens. And that's why I love you folks, I'll tell you what. It's just really a delight to have Arturo. Uh, and I neglected to introduce Danny. Danny, raise your hand. Danny's uh, their worship leader for their Sunday services. And uh, met him when he came to meet with uh, Arturo and a couple of the elders. And so uh, we're looking forward to this. In fact, we've already uh, invited Arturo and his group to continue c- c- consider coming to our caroling. Wouldn't it be neat if they would join us for caroling? Maybe the first thing that we can do together uh, with them. So I'm going to tell you something about today that you didn't know. My guess is nobody really knows what I'm about to tell you about. It's something that you're unlikely to hear in any church in Tulsa. In fact, my guess is you wouldn't hear about this in any other church in the world. Yes, today, November 20th, 2016, is National Peanut Butter Fudge Day. You all knew that, right? Did anybody know that? You raise your hand, I'm going to call you a liar. I know you didn't know that. No one knew that because it's not something that we'd be inclined to remember. It's one of those days that's declared by a company or an organization to draw attention to a product or a cause, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that, but it's kind of a manufactured, made-up memorial or special day or holiday. Now, these things work in part because we have an innate need to remember. We have to celebrate milestones. We want to memorialize things. We're going to look at that idea in depth here in a moment. Just this week, for example, some other things you probably didn't know, We celebrated National Baklava Day. Anybody know that? How about National Carbonated Beverage with Caffeine Day? That was this week, too. Anybody have a Mountain Dew in honor of that day? National Play Monopoly Day was this week. And, of course, we don't just have special days. You have special weeks. You have special months. One week in November is National Hunger and Homelessness Month uh, week, I should say. And this week is National Bible Week. Also, November is National uh, Banana Pudding Lovers Month. It's Lung Cancer Awareness Month. It's Military Family Appreciation Month. It's National Alzheimer's Disease Month. It's National Peanut Butter Lovers Month. It's National Raisin Bread Month. And appropriately, with Thanksgiving coming up this week, it's also National Gratitude Month. That works, huh? Well, unfortunately, it's also National Impotence Month. Also, unfortunately, it's National Vegan Month. And Vegan Month competes this month with Thanksgiving, which, of course, is known by many people as Turkey Day. No one said they planned these things very well. Many of us are milestone and memorial people. I definitely am. My family has for years given me all kinds of grief when we celebrate a birthday or an anniversary or some other milestone occasion. And I remind them, hey, you know what was happening? Uh, 15 years ago at this time and they roll their eyes and yeah dad we know we've heard this before another milestone passed this week and again it's one that many or most of you are not aware of or totally unaware of and I must say that Dave Troutman and I were crushed we were absolutely devastated that no one remembered that 20 years ago last Thursday November 17th we were both ordained 
elders of TCF 20 years ago. Now, I'm, I'm kidding about the crushed and devastated part, at least a little. Um, I really wouldn't expect any of you to remember that. I wouldn't expect you to remember that any more than I'd expect you to remember National Baklava Day, which was the same day as the day that Dave and I celebrated our 20th anniversary as elders of TCF. There was another day that was marked last Thursday, National Take a Hike Day. And, you know, I'm sure it's talking about hikes. They're not talking about take a hike, get out of here. But I did remember it. I did remember this, not National Baklava Day, the day that Dave and I were ordained elders. And you can blame this message on that fact and the fact that I am kind of a milestone guy. I have I like to remember things. I often think in terms of milestones and memorials. I remember. That's built into all of us, I believe, at least to some degree. For some reasons, we're going to explore some more this morning together. But first, there's a reason that we remember. And I want to express my gratitude to God for things he's done in our church and in me since I've been an elder here. That's a big part of the reason that we're encouraged in Scripture to remember. It's why God designed milestones and memorials for us. He designed these things to cause us to remember for the express purpose of giving thanks to Him and being grateful to God. I am thankful that God has made me an elder of TCF. Most days I am. I love that God has given me the privilege of being a small part of the only institution that Jesus promised to build and bless, his church, of which TCF is a local expression. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, that I will build my church. It's his church. It's not ours. He is building the church, and I'm very grateful to be just a small token, a small part in that work. I'm grateful for the privilege of preaching and teaching God's Word. What an amazing blessing is that part of my job, can you imagine that? I couldn't 20 years ago. Part of my job is to know His Word better and to help make it known to you. I'm grateful also for God's financial blessing to this church. You know what, folks? I was telling the elders just this past Tuesday morning, we're in the middle of the healthiest time in our church budget we've had since before I was an elder. Many of you remember that it wasn't always that way. When Dave and I were ordained, uh, TCF was in the middle of a very difficult time in our finances. We struggled to meet budget every week. And sometimes we even had to decide which bills we're going to pay now or, and then which bills we can put off until after next Sunday's offering so we'd have enough money in the bank that we wouldn't have a latex rubberized bank account where everything bounced. So we're grateful that God has seen fit in this season of our church's finances to bless us, and we don't take that for granted. You know what else I'm grateful for? I'm grateful for TCF's kids. I love the relationship with all of your children that being Coach Bill affords me. It brings this to me. I love it. I love seeing your kids each week. It gives me great joy to see them grow up and to grow into Christ. I'm grateful for my fellow elders as well. Let me tell you, this is a remarkable group of men. 
I knew that before I became an elder. But I didn't understand the deep quality of my brothers, these elders, until I got to know them as fellow servants of this church. Without any sense of pride at all on my part in being among this group of elders, I can honestly say to you, my church family, that this church is in good hands with its leadership. And I must note also that all the things that I'm expressing thanks for this morning, I would guess that each individual elder would echo these things, each one of them, in their own way if they were up here this morning. But they're not, and I am. So I'm saying these things this morning. You know what else I'm grateful for? I'm grateful for two decades of relative peace at TCF. We have enough people here now who've become part of TCF since 1996 that many of us have never known the kind of turmoil that we had during a few different seasons of this church's existence in the 1980s and 1990s. Yes, of course, there are always people issues. There are always different struggles in any church. But we are definitely in an extended, good, peaceful season of existence right now. And for that, I'm very grateful. I've thought about how not having to put out fires of people pushing for different agendas in the church, not having to deal with weird theology or false doctrine trying to sneak its way in, not having to deal with these things allows us to grow together in Christ without having to put out these fires, or worse yet, without having to fight off wolves. We've had to do that too. I don't take these things for granted either. And I know that the enemy still seeks those whom he may devour. So I never want to grow complacent in any of these things that I'm thankful for. I also want to say that after 20 years as an elder and all the challenges that being an elder can bring to an individual life, I still have the most wonderful, supportive wife that any elder could ever hope for. We've gotten calls on holidays because someone's in the hospital. And when I've had to leave the house for other responsibilities, when I was distracted by a burden that I was bearing because of my role as an elder, I've never heard a complaint. On the contrary, I've received consistent encouragement and support from my wonderful wife. And this from someone who told me before we got married that there were two kind of people that she would never marry. She would never marry a professional athlete. Well, by then I knew that I was never going to be good enough or big enough to be in the NBA. I did want to be, so I guess she felt like she was off the hook there. But the other kind of person that she would never marry was a preacher. So tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. When the elders asked me to pray about becoming an elder, a few of the brothers came to our house to pray and process this decision with us. And Barb expressed to them that I can't see myself as an elder's wife. Can't do it. And there's a reason for that in her mind at that time. Now, she had witnessed through the 16 years that we'd already been part of TCF, women like Ann Sanders and Joanne Farah, and she saw them leading women's Bible studies and doing all the different things that she couldn't possibly see herself doing. And after she expressed that reservation to the elders that were there, Jim Garrett said to her, there's no such biblical position as elder's wife. You just need to be who you are. And that was very freeing to Barb. And 
the fact that she didn't have to live up to a perceived role enabled her to say, okay, let's do this. This is God's plan for us. She's been amazingly supportive of God's call on my life to serve in this role. One of the other things I'm thankful for is the privilege of sharing your lives and ministering to you and with you through thick and thin. And you know, sometimes life is thin. When it's thick, you know, we're all together, we're all having a good time, but sometimes life is thin. A lot of times that's the way it is. But the privilege of walking with you through the important times, important milestones in your lives, the hospital visits for surgeries, babies that are born. Who recognizes this baby? I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the parents might. It just proves that all babies look alike, right? That's Lily. That's Lily Gotch. <laughs> There's one in every crowd. Yeah. But honestly, folks, the privilege of walking with you through the death of loved ones, celebrating important occasions, it's my joy, it's my privilege to be there with you. It's my joy, and I'm grateful that you've welcomed me into those moments of your life, allowing me to share these milestones and these life experiences with you. Milestones are important to all of us, whether we realize it or not. And what's more, I think God's a milestone guy too. It's impossible to miss how many times in the Word of God that he encourages us to remember, remember, remember. It's a constant refrain in Scripture. It's impossible to miss how many memorials that God has ordained that we use to help us remember. God remembers. In fact, he promises to remember everything but our sins which for those who are in Christ are covered under the blood of Jesus when we receive his free offer of salvation. What's more, he wants us to remember too. He wants us to remember his goodness to us. He wants us to remember his love manifest in the things that he's done in our lives. When we see it, we see it throughout the scriptures. We see it in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis with the advent of the rainbow. That's a memorial, isn't it? Listen to the memorial and remembrance here in this passage of Scripture from Genesis chapter 9. I establish my covenant with you, and this is God speaking, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. So every time, think about that, every time we see a rainbow, it's a sign. It's a sign, God said. It's sort of a memorial. God created the rainbow so that we would remember his covenant. 
that we would remember his promise of mercy and grace. We see the word remember throughout the Old Testament, and we see God designing specific things to help us remember. We see feasts, we see festivals, we see memorials from Passover to the Ebenezer Stone. And all of these were set in place to remind us, help us remember something important about what God has done for us. And what's more, we see that these things are also designed to cause us to give thanks, to cause us to give glory to God, to reflect on, to think about, to mull over His works. We see it in the New Testament in many places as well, most notably in the Lord's Supper, where Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Why? To reflect on all that's happened, to learn, to be thankful for God's goodness, for his grace, for his mercy. And the ultimate purpose is to give him glory, the glory that he so richly deserves. So remembering this milestone in my life this week and noting that this is Thanksgiving week, that's why this morning I'm remembering with you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, some important things. And I want to do this for the purpose of giving thanks and again for the purpose of giving glory to God for all that he's done. The Apostle Paul was a rememberer too and he encouraged us to remember He wrote to the Philippian church something I could write to you, my TCF family. He wrote in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Listen to this. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul was an apostle, but he had the heart of a pastor. As I read this, I I realized that I could write so much of this to you and apply so much of it very personally. First, Paul wrote that he remembered. He remembered these people that he knew and that he loved. And that remembrance did what? It welled up in gratitude. It welled up in gratitude. He wrote, I thank God for you. And I do too. I thank God for you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my church family. I thank God for what he's built in this church. On those rare Sundays when I'm absent, I miss you folks. I do. When I come back, it brings a smile to my face when I have the joy of greeting you. Just this morning, I saw the Thorpes walk in, and Olivia's wide-eyed as usual, you know, and it just always makes me smile. And then Thomas comes running up to his grandfather and gives him a big hug, and he and hangs on to him for a little while. It makes me smile, folks. 
it makes me smile. It gives me deep joy to see these things. There is no place in my life where it feels so right as when I'm here with you. Do you have those moments when you feel just such a tremendous sense that you are exactly where God would have you, right in the middle of his will? That's what I feel every time we're together. God has been gracious to knit us together as a fellowship of saints serving him. There are always things that I think we can do better. Any church can think of that. And maybe we can do this better too. So like I said before, I don't want to ever grow complacent. But we do family and relationships well here at TCF. And that's why, like Paul, I thank God for you. Paul also wrote that he prays with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. And again, I think when I read that, me too, me too. We don't just exist to have this wonderful sense of koinonia. God has created that here at TCF, and that's a wonderful blessing, but it's not the reason for being of TCF. We are partners in the gospel. We are to be his witnesses. We are to make disciples. We're to do it here in our own individual circles of influence, and we're to partner with our missionaries around the world as they do the gospel work that God's given them to do. We can even see how in the unique way that we do missions with each of our missionaries as part of our fellowship that our sense of family is a foundational thing for our partnership in the gospel. Think about this. Certainly we could participate in world missions without that, but there's something special about praying for, about providing financial support for our own people. That's something very special. It's special to have these missionaries in our homes for fellowship, for a meal, for overnight stays, doing things with them, doing things with their families. This is a picture when the shoe packs were heading back to, that was probably when you were heading back to Cabardino Balcaria at one point. I remember I came over to your house. Anybody remember that the shoe packs were our missionaries? They've been part of us now for a while here in Tulsa, but they've been part of us long before that as our missionaries. That's a joy, folks. It's a joy to be with our missionaries when they're home. They're just like us. They're real people seeking to serve the Lord and advance his kingdom. And they're a part of this church family. So we all, like Paul, can pray with joy because of our partnership in the gospel. And that includes all of us here in this room, and it includes our missionaries that are pictured on that board back there. Amen? Then Paul expressed confidence in God. He expressed confidence that God will complete the good work in you that he's already begun. The work he began in you the day you trusted in Christ for your salvation and will complete on the day he returns or on the day he takes you home. We're all works in progress. Our faith is, our Christian life is a work in progress. That's one reason. Did you ever think about that? That's one reason why we see all these one another statements in the word, such as be patient with one another. Well, if we'd already arrived, we wouldn't need to be patient with each other, right? Bear with one another. When you bear with somebody, that means you're putting up with stuff, right? Be at peace with one another. Live in harmony with one another. Forgive one another. Be tender-hearted toward one another. 
Don't grumble against one another. And we could go on. But we need these one another admonitions from Scripture because God's not done with any of us yet. We're works in progress. And all of us, in our own ways, can be a pain in the neck to each other. We can bring challenges to each other in extending grace, not just for our idiosyncrasies or maybe even our weirdness, but for sometimes our sinful actions and our sinful attitudes. But like Paul, we can all also say this. We can say with confidence that because we know God's not done with us yet, we know God will, in fact, complete the good work that he's begun in each one of us. And then Paul makes an extraordinary statement. He says he has his Philippian brothers and sisters in his heart. We can see this very clearly as a declaration of affection for these people. How else could you possibly interpret that? This, too, is something I can say about you, my church family. I have you in my heart. While my love for you is rooted and grounded in the agape love of Christ, which, as Jim noted a week ago, is a choice we make, and it's not dependent on our emotions, that doesn't mean there's never any emotion, any feeling, any affection in a love relationship. And we know that to be true. We know that to be true in so many of the love relationships that we have. From our spouses to parental love, children's love for parents, other family relationships. And it's true in this church. And then I look around this room each Sunday morning and I see this family and I see that individual. What Paul writes here also describes me. I have you in my heart. I feel deep affection for you. And I'm grateful that God has knit us together in him. Paul, in the next verse, ramps that up even more by talking about the affection of Christ. That word affection is rooted in the word bowels. In other words, it's a feeling you have deep in your gut. Anybody get that when we see each other? I do. It's usually a good feeling. That's how he describes his affection for the saints in Philippi, and he relates it to the deep affection that Christ has for us. Paul also notes that all of you share in God's grace with me. Isn't that a great thing? From the best of us to the worst of us, we're all shut up under sin, and we're all in need of God's grace. We're here only because of God's grace and his mercy in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how far along we are in our relationship with Christ. From the person here who's been a believer for the longest amount of time to the very babe in Christ, we share in his grace together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We can all, we should all sing that song with gusto because we need it. And God provides it, his amazing grace. And then Paul moves to another level in his prayer for the church. This is my prayer, he wrote. Even recognizing all these wonderful truths about sharing in God's grace, about the affection that he felt for his brothers and sisters, about his confidence in God's sanctifying influence in their lives, about their partnership in the gospel, Paul was not content to say, okay, we're good, we've arrived, 
No, he wanted the church to abound in, to overflow with, to keep on growing in knowledge and depth of insight. I pray that for us. I pray that for you as well. It's why I love to preach and teach. It's why I invest hours in learning the Word of God and growing in knowledge and depth of insight myself so we can abound together, so we can grow together in Him. So as Paul wrote in the passage we read in verse 9 and 10, that you may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. My brothers and sisters, we live in a world where we must learn to discern. The enemy of our souls wants to draw us away from what is best. The enemy of our souls wants to keep us from being pure and blameless. We have to discern. We have to figure it out, folks. We have to discern what is best. There are a lot of things that the world promises is best. And we have to be able to discern. We have to know the difference between truth and falsehood. We have to know the difference between right and wrong, between good and bad. We even have to know the difference between better and best. We can't go with the flow of the world. Let me say that again. We can't go with the flow of the world. It's a real temptation. It's a real temptation. It's very tempting and it's difficult not to go with the flow. But if we do, the world will suck us into its vortex and draw us away from Christ. That's just reality. It will squeeze us into its mold. So, what do we have to do? We have to discern. We have to learn the difference between good, better, and best. We have to discern what is best. We have to grow individually and together in spiritual purity. Why? Paul tells us why. So that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness through Jesus. Paul doesn't pray these things just so we can protect ourselves, just so we can be good or moral people, just so we can all get along in our own little Christian bubble. That's not why he prays these things for the saints in Philippi. That's not why we pray these things for, the other, for uh, each other in this fellowship. He recognizes in the last part of his prayer that there's a foundational purpose for knowing what is best. There's a foundational purpose for being pure and blameless so we can bear fruit, so we can bear fruit. And it won't be just any fruit. Our fruit for God's kingdom will be the fruit of righteousness through Jesus. It won't be simply for our own sake. It will be the fruit Jesus brings to us and brings through us. We're partners in the gospel because Jesus makes us fruitful. The kingdom advances because we bear the fruit of righteousness through Jesus. He makes us fruitful. What a wonderful picture that is of who we are together as a body of believers. And it all ends with glory and praise to God. Not to me, not to you, but to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Thanks be to God and to you, my brothers and sisters, for all these things. This morning, I'm like Paul. I remember and I'm thankful. Thanks for the privilege 
and it truly is a privilege of serving you as an elder of this church. Thanks for putting up with me, bearing with me, as Scripture says. Thanks for making me feel loved. Thanks for making me feel affirmed and appreciated and accepted and useful in God's kingdom. So in closing, I want to read this whole passage again from uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 that we read a little earlier and we've been talking about. And I want you to listen, keeping in mind all the things that we just looked at. And as I thought through this list of things I'm grateful for, there could have been many more. But this passage of Scripture had new meaning and poignancy to me. Hear me saying this to you, but also, in fact, imagine each of us saying this to one another. I'm going to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 from the New Living Translation. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I always pray for you, and I make my requests with a heart full of joy because you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I'm sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. It is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a very special place in my heart. We have shared together the blessings of God, both when I was in prison and when I was out, defending the truth and telling others the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, those good things that are produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So if you're hurting this morning, God says, remember. Remember his faithfulness. Remember his grace. Remember his mercy. If life is especially hard today, God says, recall his goodness. Recall his amazing grace. Recall his salvation for us. Amen? Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We want to be a thankful people, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that you are constantly admonishing us to remember because there's so many wonderful things that you've done for us. Your word recounts these things, and all of us have experienced these things. And we want to remember, Father. We want to remember your love and your grace and your mercy. We want to grow in you, Lord God. We want to trust in you for all of the challenges, all of the hard things that we face in our lives. We want to grow in our relationships with each other, Father, so that we would indeed be able to say with Paul, that we share the affection of Christ for each other. We thank you for this, Lord. Make us more like Jesus. Make us more like Jesus. That's our prayer, Father. Not just so that we can be good moral people, Father, but so that we can serve you and glorify you, Father, and advance your kingdom here and around the world. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen.